on the 10th of June 1894, 400 people, men, women and children, were on the pier over here at Kewar, as we call it, Clockmore, waiting to be taken to Westport Pier to get a steamer to bring them to Scotland. It was the Burns and Laird Elm, and five boats were to, uh, to, to take them, but only three arrived, so... 400 people had to be packed into three hookers, which meant they were all overcrowded through no fault of the captains. And just as they approached the pier in Westport, it was a lovely calm day. The boat capsized the victory and people were thrown into the water. Those that were down in the hold or trapped under the sail were drowned. So 32 were drowned and uh, their bodies were brought to be buried in Kildownet Cemetery, 1894. That was the big tragedy. So it's just out the bay there, as we see. It's lovely calm waters, a day like today. This here is the... This here is the drowning. See the, the names. We can come in here. The quality of the iron that was in those days, that's over 100 years old, and still, even in this saline... <laughs> environment, salt, still. Now these are the, I noticed they were mostly all women. See? Mostly all women. Margaret, Winifred, see? And Nancy, see? And the reason being was the boat was so overcrowded that the women and the old men went down in the hold and the more adventurous stayed up on deck to see it. So therefore when the boat capsized they were trapped inside. And uh, we talked about this. A Pat O'Donnell, his grave is there. This man here, he was seven. Could you imagine a man being 75 years of age going on migratory work to Scotland? And he was died, and his daughter, Margaret, she was deaf and dumb. This girl is buried in Ross Turk, and there's a Cooney. This, uh, not Mary Cooney, Joseph Cooney. This, he's buried in in uh, Ballycroy, across from Turnbegee, from which he was, uh, from where he was a native. It is a lovely setting, though. Oh, the far tawdry fields are calling me away, and the stretching in the bodies on the straw. And the old men mourning at the breaking of the day And the trekking when the morning's in the raw There's the cry of the women for the souls they're keeping clean When the rain rattles blazes on the zinc When a blaspheming devil spits his atheistic spleen and a hawker whispers hoarsely for a drink To the spirit-broken, quiet-spoken, tarty-hawking men To get back to working in Scotland, though, what age were you when you went over first? Eleven and a half. That was 1904. Oh, that's right, yeah. I only went out to see the ship, like, Ferrying out the people, you know, on the back with their luggage and tack. But by God, there was an uncle of mine, a gaffer, you know, mm. from an Espigal over there. And he took me in and paid my way twice only seven shillings from out there, full fare to Glasgow. 
twas cheap, you know. I, we, that's where we started first, 1940, the first year I went in, uh, uh, in Gilbert. And shifted, then we shifted around through the country, shifted to another place near Gilbert called Salcoats, Ayrshire, Nearshire, Salcoats, and so on. They shifted to different places from the, that field would be finished. We shifted to another farm around about, you know, and uh, Kilwana. Uh, but it's where we finished up at Kilwana. What was the job that you had to do? The picking spot. Uh, and how many years did you do that for? Oh, I did it for a number of years. Until I got strong, you know, and then we went on different jobs and on the farm. We'd go harvest. You know, but uh, it was a great job for the y young infants. Like they'd go, they'd be on their knees with a bag around them. You know, oh, the wages was only threepence an hour when I started first. You know, threepence an hour, fifteen but ten hour, ten hour day, ten hour no half day Saturday, sixty sixty hour week. And if you had a full week coming, fifteen bob of the old money. Fifty was only seventy-five pence. <laughs> the old money is in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. mm. Well, that's more. Everything was cheap. Mm. Everything was cheap. Mm. Still going. You don't remember? Eh? Do Do you remember um, the other places that you would have gone to in Scotland? Oh, I do indeed. Oh, I was around Edinburgh, Stranraer, and Edinburgh, and Perth, Perth, Perth. Oh, I travelled a lot of Scotland, you know. You you might be with a different gang the following year and go to a different place, you know. That kind of way. Oh, I know a lot about Scotland. And a little village in the north of Scotland called Breco. And Mute. I was in Dundee. Oh, I spent three or four years around Dundee. Newport. And it's Cooper 5. Strathniglo. Oh, I travelled around, you know, and uh, all those places. And New Tye, and Farfur, right? Glams. Glams Cashier, so the, the Queen was there at Glams. Mm. Posh place, like. Oh, I, I've been in a lot of places. Corstaffan, it's near Edinburgh, like. Well, in a farm there called Red Hughes. That was the name of the farm there. You, you forget, you know. And a farm up near Breco, like in the north of Scotland, Kirallen was the name of the farm. I, I was two, two, two years there. Kirallen, different names. Another farm, Drumdui, like, uh, uh, near well. Breco there. And, uh, and uh, another village near Breco, four miles five or six miles away, called Dunblane, name of the little village. I was in a farm there, Burnside, called the farm. There, oh, different names. So it only applied to three parts, parts of the country, Ackill, Eris, and Northwest Donegal. Nowhere else. Those the people of Arn Islands, or the people of Inniski, or the people of Clare Island, or those didn't. Just those three particular. And I often wonder why. Why this 
tradition applied to three specific areas. And they were all on the west coast, and the reason being they were overpopulated, there were communities that were closing it. So you see, what they wanted in Scotland were they wanted mobile working force that would go from one farm to the other. So what the, what, what the merchants did, they, it would take, they started in Ayrshire because being coastal, it, it, has a, it doesn't get much frost, so it's very suitable for early potatoes. And they got the farmers there and throughout Scotland to sow the potato. And when it was sold, they said, right, we pay you so much an acre and we will harvest them. So the farmer had nothing to do with the harvesting of it. So, um, therefore, they needed mobile uh, uh, workers who would be prepared to go, when one farm was finished, go to another and another and another. And they would finish up in the month of October up in near Dundee on the, on the east coast of Scotland. So, they travel. so therefore, these people from I can knew every inch of Scotland. When I grew up, I knew more, and I've often said this, I knew more of the geography of Scotland than I did of my own country, listening to the fireside in Gaelic, and they'd be talking about. And I remember the first time when I went to Scotland, in, we went on our honeymoon actually there, and we, we took the car, and going through, I stopped the car, and there, Ballantrae, the Maidens, Garvin, Bebole, I knew all the names of the farms. I could write them off. Can you remember anything about the work in Scotland that you heard the others talking about? Did they have a good time? Were they treated well? No, they wasn't, no. Badly treated. No, they were like the, the blacks from Africa. Except that you, you weren't fenced in, you know. But you didn't do that work yourself? I did for later on. I came down for a trial. I went down. I waited a, not a long time. I went into the city, then I was working with the builders, you know. Did many people from around Dahomey here go to Scotland? All of us. Every bar in the bar knew where us went. And would, would that work? And all Ackill. No, that's the mm. island of Ackill. There was 1,400 passengers. And there was no, there was no flush lavatories or specs here, nothing, do you know? And you had to bring your own food with you, you got no food on the ship. You know. And were you lying on the ship like We were on from Thursday night till Saturday morning, oh. about 7 o'clock. Or 8 o'clock. <coughs> and she, yes. do she docked in here. Did the people from Dahoma, though, go to Scotland now? They did. Oh, no, not now. No, no but when, when they were going, they went to work in Scotland. They didn't want to work in Scotland. Just like the Ackle people. They are the same. The same, same yes. Not England. And they wouldn't hear the child that was waiting on him to be 14 years. Even before he reached, what, 12? He went to Scotland with his father. Mm. Maybe his mother too with him. Mm. Which was the worst, biggest sin you could commit. What? Yeah, to bring them at that age from the school, you know. And that he get up in the morning about uh, past four or five o'clock. Well, no, the tea is done. But these old potatoes. So can you tell me then what you were doing in England? What was the first year you went to England? That's 1923. Yeah. Where did you go to her? I went to uh, Newcastle. Newcastle and Tyne. Yeah. What kind of work were you doing there? Uh, we're, we're home turnips, you know. Single turnips with the whole. It was my first encounter with the whole, you know. 
My dad showed me how to do it. And your dad was over with you, wasn't he? Was. He died that following year. They had to go on my own. That's the first pencil I was put into my hand as a whole. I put my season ends in and I never watch a day. I'm picking all the time on my two knees. I'd be a bag around you and you're on your knees. And, uh, last year, a man hawking for you for the day. I wasn't able to hawk. I was too young, 11 and a half. But I put my season in. The wages that time was very small. Things was cheap, though. The wages was only thruppence an hour. When you'd have the full week, You'd only get 15 shillings of the old money. But you get some something for that. Things were cheap. The loaf was only threepence. The ounce of tobacco was threepence. The pint of beer was only threepence. Tea, very cheap. Bacon, eightpence or ninepence a pound and so on. You could live cheap, like. And that fared on all right. And then... We, when we were coming home, there was no ship to bring us. We had to go to Glasgow and uh, get the ship from Glasgow to Dublin and the train from Dublin to Wackhill. And the train was very slow that time. There were no fast trains in it that time. Take about 10 or 14 hours. 10 hours to cover the journey from Dublin that time. Until we'd land home. Well, the same thing continued the following year. Went to wait to Scotland, we're getting keener on then. Went to wait to Scotland again the same way. We get a free house there, and plenty of blankets and bedclothes and everything. Plenty of fire, plenty of coal. Well, that continued then all the time for a number of years. Until I began then, at the time of the last war, I went to England. I emigrated to England. Right? The wages were good. Everything. But the food stuff was bad. You had a job to live. Four ounces of butter and four ounces of bacon in the week. And it was very hard to live on that, which I had to do. And having your drink of beer, then at the weekend it would build you up a bit. And that's the way we carried on till you should come home the next six months and so on. And until I was finishing though. <laughs> Our fathers were all in Scotland, and we didn't think it. We, we saw our fathers for one month every year. And I often think of the sacrifice those men made away from their homes for 11 months of the year. And while they were away, of course, the mothers, they, they worked hard. They had to get the farms going. They had to see that the turf was brought home and the potatoes were harvested and the hay was saved and the cows were milked and seen to. And uh, the fathers came in springtime for two reasons, to cut the turf and to prepare the land for sowing the crops and they were gone. They didn't come for Christmas, they couldn't afford to come for Christmas. So it's unimaginable today, isn't it? All my, my family were involved. My father went away when he was 14 and so did all my uncles and aunties. My parents married in Arbroath in 1932 after being working on the farms. And uh, my mother came home then when the eldest was born, so three other children. So my father went to England, lived his life in England, he was 65, away from the family. That was the pattern of most people. 
My uncle described it to me in great detail in 1912 when they were going. A few days before that, they would go and they would uh, they would go to the local tailor, so they would have clothes. He would everything was done locally. Yeah, the local shoemaker and he would the boots were made locally. The shoes it was based on family relations. So they would come. For instance, my uncle who would have been a ganger, they would come to him to see could which you could take this boy or that and he would. So then they were put on the yards and they sailed out to the hooker or they would be rowed out and every boat on the island was commissioned <laughs> to get, imagine getting a thousand people all day onto it. And then he, what he remembers, he was only in 1812, he was, a, he was 16 years of age and uh, what he remembers coming to the when the, the yawl turned up, came alongside the steamer, two rope ladders, three rope ladders, with Scottish sailors on either side, coming down the rope ladders and helping, seeing that everybody... And it was like a huge wall, could you imagine? Now, he said what, he remember, what made an imprint in his mind was the older women. It was a frightening experience for them to get up those ladders. It was all for young people. And he remembers some of them actually being bodily lifted on and terrified. So then when they got on board, then the woman would make the tea and see that there was food for those and her on the boat. And they carried their own food with them until they got to. And it was evening then. It was sunset when the boat lifted anchor and sailed north of Black Sod, past Eris and up the Donegal coast and it brought them straight to Gervin. It didn't bring them into Glasgow so the, when they got there the lorries and carts were there waiting for them to bring them to the different farms that was everything was so highly organized by the uh, by the merchants. Now, I have an uncle, he's 93, who worked in Scotland, who went away when he was 14, if you want to talk to him. I'll ring him to see would he talk to you. Anthony, um, after the Lahore of Lake, famous holiday, okay? After the Lahore of Lake, famous holiday, he went away when he was 14. He knows every inch of Scotland. And he was in England, he was 65, every inch of England. How was it organised that you'd go over? Did a group you go together or would you go on your own? We didn't go on our own. We went in, yes, we went in groups. They went in groups such as squads. Maybe about, a group about 20, from around about 20, roughly about 20 or 30 people used to go into group from around about here. Huh? Do you know the, the, the terrible thing that happened in 1937 over in Scotland? In I heard about that, yes. Yeah. Yeah. What did you hear about it? What did you hear what about it? Well, of course, that these people, of course, they were in this place and they got burned. 
and that was on. It was an accident, I suppose. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be an accident. You never heard how it was started? No, I didn't hear it was started. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. I never heard how it was started. And then there was another one before that, wasn't there, when they were going out on the hooker? Uh, yeah, no. yeah, there was, of course, oh. there was an act, there was a drowning, but that's, um, that happened before I was born. Did. You don't ever remember? Oh, I heard them speaking about it, of course, that these hookers was going into Westport and some people, of course, they, they must have gone to one side of this hooker and mm. too much water turned over. Thank you. What time are you going to bed, Anthony? I've got about three There was nothing here in Ackle but immigration. I worked in Heddens, I worked with, I worked I worked in people, potatoes, beef, anything you could think of, anything I could hear in a shillnet. I worked in all kinds of weather. It didn't do a bit on me. Because when I was young we had to work and but one thing about it, about active people, as I'm on about it, when the war started in 1939, and we all went over, we were conscript labour. They came from they came from Derry, and they came from Limerick, and they came from Dublin. And you know, there was people sent over, and I went over there to work, and I seen Bethel lying in a coffin, the sign that was on them. And they never worked in their life, and they didn't know how to work. And we worked active people, and anybody came from Donegal and Galway because they were used to it. I, I know when I landed in Butterford, the Lord protected and saved us. There were people that were told from Limerick and them towns, and they, they didn't know how to catch a shovel. Did you go with your father to Scotland? No, I did not. <clears throat> I did not. Uh, my father here, he, he worked, he used to be a coast guard, like when the war was on. And uh, at the time that I went to Scotland, my father waited at home. And I went to Scotland with my sister. In fact, I have, a, I have the picture with squad, if you'd like to see it. Uh, uh, the, we were in it. And uh, my father waited at home here, and I went to Scotland and my brothers and sisters, you know. And uh, the, the conditions was very bad that time, you know. They, they had to get up at four o'clock in the morning and they'd have to have a, a couple of tonne of potatoes dug at eight o'clock, that's in four hours. You call them grapes. A grape was one man digging and the other man picking, you know. If the merchant got an order for potatoes, well, you'd have to get up rain, hail or storm and dig the potatoes, you know. Well, trade to God's truth, accommodation wasn't the best at the time, before Father O'Donnell got it, got it, he got the sanitary inspection, he got the sanitary out, and the farmers, and then, and then the gaffers. Yeah. I, I have a picture in there with squad, if you'd like to see it. Bring it out to them, Tom. It's in the hall. Yeah. But, uh, 
And he would say, that was taken as Scotland now. That, that was 1927. That's, uh, that's a lad from Donegal. That's, that's Charlie Braddon. That's, that's the Crayfield himself. Anthony. And that's my mate, Menace Charlie. My uncle. And that's Johnny Sharkey. From? Johnny Sharkey. From where, Anthony? From Donegal. From Donegal. From Donegal. From Donegal. Yeah. Now, that's Rosie Mangan, a neighbour of mine. She, Moore, she was only. I was there, I was, I was 15 then. I was, that was me, that was me second, third year in Scotland. And that, she wasn't a year older than me. And she was a lovely girl and she died with TB. Good looking girl, wasn't and that's, she? That's Pat McGinty, that's his aunt. My, my father's cousin. That's, that's his aunt. My aunt, aunt. That's it. That's his uncle. Pat. And you know who I know, I think that man is now. Oh, he was very well educated. That's Johnny Rogers. From? From Donegal. And you know Bridge Rogers, that's working in, that's in Belfast. Well, I do often the, think, the she comes from Donegal, SDL and I do often think, she resembles him terribly. She was from, she was, her parents yeah. were she's from Gidor. She's from Gidor, and he was yeah. from Gidor. That's my sister there. My aunt, yeah. And that's... The man, Tom. My, my, that was the gaffer. He was the, the one that did the, on the tape. That's my cousin there. That's my cousin there, got her to sold on. And that's my sister, his that's mother. My mother. Uh, and that's that's a neighbour. That's yeah. a neighbour of, 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 of there. And that's his father. My father. Yeah. They married then in uh, two. That was taken 1927. 27. And I was 1925, 26. That was my third year in Scotland. When I was down around Ackle and Dahomey, they were telling me that they remembered the steamers coming in and that the workers would go off on the steamer over. I went on it. Did you? I from Dahomey head here, right into the town of Ayr. And I tell you one thing, there was a baby born on that boat, come back to tackle head one night, and me yeah. on it. This is coming home, was it? Going back to Scotland to work in June. And he was called the Duke of Ackle. He was baptised. Now then, did you ever hear that? I didn't. Well, hear it now, that is true. Yeah. He was called the Duke of Ackle. Is he still alive? He, I think so, unless he died lately in Edinburgh, he's still alive. He's living over in Edinburgh? He is indeed, he was living and grew a big man. You don't know his name, then, do you? Well, his mother was gone anyway, mm. but I couldn't tell you who'd be the father. No, to be very so honest, she was just about to have the baby when she left. She off. was to, yeah. right. She was to have well, the baby. Well, they took her then. Well, they brought her. Well, sure, they couldn't stop her. She was, mm. and going around at her head, mm. the baby was born. The puma was the first boat. And there's the innocent born back behind him. He was, he was, he was born in Irish waters, and the, the, he was christened. And you know, of course, the captain had told him, baptize you, marry you, sentence you. He was judge. Is and he they, still alive? Can and I? he christened him the Duke of Ackill. Mm. And he, he wanted to buy him, that he, buy the baby. <laughs> and. I seen that child went to school. He went to school over here. He did. And he came up from Rockhart. He was through our village to school. Yeah, and he was a fine looking young Rock man. And he joined the, the Royal Air Force, the last war. And I, I, I'm sure that's how he was killed now. He is in the parachute regiment. You know. 
his father was a Sligo man. Mm. Oh, What's his name? McPherson, not McPherson. 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 You don't want to talk to me, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to ask you how you found it when, when he was off the way working. Uh, I had to be with my ass and cat, shook and turf and milking cows and How many of the houses around here and how many of the people around here, when you look across this bay, would have been gone to Scotland or gone to England? One from every house. One from very few houses uh, didn't have someone without uh, going to Scotland or immigrating. It was a way of life. It was, it was part, of the, part of the culture. And would you just describe for me what you can see across there? Well, as you look here, this is the Cape War, Clothmore, across from Azakilbeg Island, and which, in, which, is not, which is uninhabited anymore. People have left it. But people lived there until 1964. Uh, across then, across from it, is the Coron Peninsula, which is on the mainland. That's where you see across from, you see the mountain, uh, Clare Island, um, Crookmore on Clare Island and to the west then is the Atlantic Drive and all you see is the open Atlantic there's nothing from there until you reach America from here the magic of the isles and the spirit broken quiet spoken 
Totty hawking men rolling out a prayer in Gaelic in the wilds, and the Eriskells turning on the reeking straw again, and they dreaming o'er oh, the magic of the isles. Oh, the far Totty fields are calling in the springs where a Scotch laird hollers down the files. And the madman moans about the children or the kings that are starving on the magic of the isles. There's a story about the Ackle yeah. Railway, isn't there? Yeah, there is. What, what is that? Well, the first uh, train that ever came into Ackle. Uh, it came with a load of carts, and the last train they came in. And that was in the prophecy, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I believe it was, yeah, it was. They yeah. say it was, yeah. Oh. And what was the first load of carts? Uh, it was a drowning, you know. So what was the last train then? The last train was a burning cat controller. Do you mind the bathy? Ah, oh, you wouldn't remember. You should have the I heard about it. I did, uh, I worked in it, I worked in cat controller, but not that year, no, but I worked. And it says it was a, a partisan, I mean, there's a lot of diehards in it, unionists and orangemen. And these young fellas, and one, one of the workers that was born to death, those families wiped out. Uh, did you and he only you? came from, uh, from England down to see his two sisters, or three. The door was locked. And uh, they got suffocated. They couldn't get out. And was it the boss that locked the door, or was it No, himself? I don't know what that means. Yeah, they couldn't get the door, and even if I ever broke out. You see, they got suffocated right away. Yeah. I think I remember that myself. Well, that's the last train they came and tackled them. You never heard any story of how the fire started, did you? Well, they, they were different talents, you know. They, some site was done miniciously. And uh, the strange thing about that was the train to Ackill, the line was completed as far as Ackill Sound, but there was no station or platforms built. The train had, the, the Great Western Railway was in operation from Westport to Newport, but because of the crowds travelling with the corpses, the key. Great Western Railway decided to bring the train and the mourners to Ackill, so it just finished at a line, and that was the first, the first uh, journey the uh, train, the Westport train to Ackill, made carrying corpses. Now it had been prophesied in traditional, but we have no, uh, <clears throat> there is no written confirmation that it was ever prophesied, but it had been in, in the lore that the last train would also carry corpses. And that happened in 1937 when 10 young boys aged 14 to 21 were burned alive in a, in a bothy in the village of Kirkintulla. And uh, they came that evening, they were tired and they came from Wusha. And uh, they had just settled down for the night when the fire where the boys were sleeping. Their sisters were next, they couldn't get to the raid. 
uh, the door was locked, they couldn't come out. So people think it was set on fire, the door locked. Of course, there's no proof. It has been said some years ago, uh, there was a case where a wife of uh, one of the would-be arsonists was prepared to give she separated from her husband something and he had told her that he was one of the people who set it on fire and uh, but the the relations did not want to they did not want to pursue it it was so long ago they didn't want to pursue it that happened about 15 years ago there's another story told that on the beaches of of uh, Dunkirk 1939 uh, when the uh, 1940, when they, they they were evacuating the beaches, that one soldier then did admit it. But again, we have no proof that it was arson. But it's generally accepted here that it was. That's the story of immigration. So thankfully, immigration is finished. I'm um, sorry, the Kirkintula. I think this is the best place. As you see there, all young boys. Did you notice three Mangan brothers? The only three sons of the Mangan and uh, Paula. And uh, the youngest of those Mangans was 14, and the eldest 19. The Kilvan brothers, Wackel Sound, see it, they were brothers. So, bought the Kirkintilla Skull, 6th of 1937. So, they are all buried in this communal grave. Would you read their names if you don't mind? Uh, Thomas Catek and Ackel Sound, Patrick Kilban, Ackel Sound, and Thomas Kilban, Ackel Sound, brothers. Owen Kilban Schrains, John Mangan, Thomas Mangan, and Michael Mangan, Paula, three brothers. They were the only three sons in that family, all lost. John McLaughlin and Martin McLaughlin, Sola, two brothers, and Patrick McNeely Shrahins. And uh, they are the ten lives that were lost. And uh, the last train uh, to Ackle carried those corpses in, just like the first train carried the drowning victims. See you, Teddy. See you, Thomas, yeah.